Hey there, welcome back to the Silicon Sasquatch podcast after an extended leave of absence for no good reason. My name is Nick Cummings, I'm your host for today, and I am joined by Tyler Martin. Hello. And Doug Bonham. Oh, there was plenty of good reason. Yeah, it always looks like that, from, from in hindsight. Oh well. Yep. We're back, that's what's most important. We're back, just like a dinosaur's tail. This is the worst intro I've ever done. But yeah, we're back, and uh, we're going to talk a little bit about... Wait, did you reference that cartoon from the 90s about the yeah. dinosaurs? Like yeah. They were like super rad and wore like sunglasses and leather jackets and stuff. I want to say one of them was a skateboarder. Pretty sure one of them was a skateboarder. I'm pretty sure that well, that logic only works if you believe that the Earth is 6,000 years old. But, God, this is the worst intro I've ever done. Bar none. <laughs> Well, I'll keep this as like a memento and then just nail it to my coffin. Um, yeah, so we're kind of just at a point where we figured it'd be a good time to, rather than cover anything pertinent in the news, uh, <laughs> because we feel woefully unprepared at this point and want to do it properly, uh, we wanted to talk a little bit about our perceptions on this generation, which uh, the current console generation with the PlayStation 4 and Xbox One, now that we're almost a year in, and... Uh, the majority of us now own at least one next-gen console. Uh, if we count the Wii U, that's um, everyone except for Doug. Yep. Which is totally cool. And me. Because oh, wait. You're talking you about just any next-gen next in general. Gen stuff. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you have a PS4 now, which is kind of what sparked this. But um, We talked a little bit about this previously, and like a few months ago, I was talking the talk of, I don't really get this whole generation thing, you kids and your polygons, but... Uh, now I have a PS4, Aaron has a PS4, and Tyler recently picked up a PS4 as well. And, uh, at this point, I guess, I guess what kind of sparked this is that Tyler, in particular, has kind of not been super thrilled with what he's seen so far. Do you want to talk a little bit about your, I just, uh, disillusionment? I feel a general sense of malaise and ennui about my PlayStation 4 purchase. And I say this as someone that has... Bethesaurus. <laughs> oh, also that. Woo! Sorry, yeah. I'll be here all week. But I, I'm one of the people that bought uh, a Vita and a redesigned Vita. So you'd think if anyone was prepared to be drink- down in some PlayStation Kool-Aid, it would be this guy right here. Yeah, already on your second Vita. They haven't even made two games for it, so... Her... Never yeah. mind. Never mind PlayStation Kool-Aid. Just somebody who's down with some, you know buyer's remorse just ignoring it straight out <laughs> hey man if you bring up my wonder swan color we're gonna have a problem i feel like the playstation vita had a better launch than the ps4 though let's be real Maybe. well yeah it had persona 4 the golden so that's all you really need not at launch close enough it did have wipeout though <laughs> it always has wipeout it's i feel like that's real, sony's go-to it's a real pretty game though and there's no wipeout yeah. in ps4 and i feel like there should be it feels wrong not to have a wipeout. Mm. That is strange. So, anyways, yeah, you're you are totally down with PlayStation, yet you are feeling kind of at a crossroads in regards to having bought a PlayStation Four. Well, I mean, prior to the PlayStation Four, I had just been like looking at the way things were going, and I was just like, you know what? Pretty much everything worth a damn is what we call cross-gen, meaning it's available on both new current-gen platforms and previous platforms, uh, 360 and PlayStation 3. 
So I was like, I'll just deal with like the slightly lower fidelity versions for a little while longer because they all essentially play the same. It was only after I had the revelation that uh, one of the higher profile games this year, uh, Middle Earth Shadows of Mordor, is lacking key features in its previous gen version. And it yeah. probably won't be alone. Uh, it sounds like all previous gen ports are going are being made by alternative teams. So even though, uh, according to the press, the people making Call of Duty Advanced Warfare are, by all accounts, sledgehammer games, the people making the 360 version and the PlayStation 3 version are not sledgehammer. Mm. And I don't know if it's been revealed who they are. They are just some, like, B or C tier developer within Activision that is probably does not have the clearance to make their own games. It's just like you guys will just make maps for Call of Duty or last gen ports or what have you. The ghost of Neversoft. <laughs> oh god. Oh man. That is bleak. <laughs> yeah. Let's hope they actually found something something better afterward. In, so yeah. In I, the case of Mordor though, like what's missing seems rather essential to the whole experience. Uh for the unfamiliar, Shadows of Mordor is basically the love child of Assassin's Creed and Batman Arkham Asylum mixed with Lord of the Rings trappings. But what separates it from those games is something called the Nemesis System, in which any particular enemy on the battlefield can become your mortal enemy if they manage to strike you down in combat because they will rise up in the Orkin hierarchy and become captain and elite captain and legendary captain and possibly even eventually war chief. Yeah. And this comes with uh, stat boosts and they control certain territories and there's you always run the risk running around the map of running into these nemeses. And it adds a certain dynamic to the game that is largely unseen in these character action games and makes it a holy, oh, I'm going to shudder when I say this, compelling experience. <laughs> you <laughs> said <laughs> the word. Put money in the and swear yeah, jar. To, to, to kind of, like other, lots of other people in the games press and in the hardcore gaming sphere have been talking about the game. And they really, a lot of people, especially, I think Tyler did as well, have the experience and have loved the fact that some little grunt can get the last hit on them suddenly get jumped up to being a captain and then eventually throughout the game continue to rise along as the player continues throughout the story (laughs) so this one dude who got a shot in on you early in the game continues to hang around and even if you kill them or take them out one time they'll come back with a bandage over their head and go oh you thought you killed me but you didn't have me down there yet it's similar to Rogue Legacy in that the stats for these enemies are randomly generated. So each enemy has their own set of strengths and weaknesses. And so yeah. an enemy with the right set of strengths can prove to be quite the thorn in your side. But they always uh, have I a remember, critical flaw, which makes it fun to discover and exploit it. Yeah, some of them are kind of hard to trigger. I remember yeah. I, in the first half of the game, I had a particular problem with a captain that I really did develop a kind of grudge against because he kept popping up at really inconvenient times and he had a poison weapon and poison is is particularly hard to deal with and his fear was grogs which are like these large cave troll-esque beasts and not all that common in the game (laughs) so it was very difficult to trigger his fear 
And he also had uh, what they call like uh, hatred or like certain things that just piss them off. And if you manage to piss them off, they lose their weaknesses and they become stronger. And he was really pissed off by things like being set on fire, which in my play style became a very common thing to happen. <laughs> that became like my bread and butter. Yeah. The second half of the game. Most of the time it's pretty convenient. Yeah. So, so yeah. I, I feel like, you know, aside from the fact that it, the system is very successful at giving the player constant reason to try new methods for fighting these tougher enemies with the fact that they have different weaknesses all the time that are randomly generated, uh, it also infuses a lot of personality into the game that's otherwise absent uh, because each of these characters not only has, you know, strengths and weaknesses, but also um personality quirks different voices there's a guy who loves fire who wears a flaming hat that i just killed today it is um, very <laughs> impressive the diversity of uh voice bits and different elements to these orcs it mm-hmm. could have very easily become repetitious and just lose all meaning but when you do have an orc that you've badly damaged and he runs away when you see him again and he's like, I'll get you for burning my face. <laughs> it's very impactful. It's like, holy crap, he remembered I did that. Yeah. The, dulcet, the dulcet tones of Tyler Martin there. Or he remembered that I brought a Karagor in to kill him and he killed the Karagor, but he got away from me. Yeah, and he, like, there's no Karagor to save you this time. Yeah, it's just great. I mean, like it is largely smoke and mirrors if you want to really break it down like that. But I think that's, but that's all games. Short. All games are just smoke and mirrors. Yeah. I mean, it's it's just and, some really great window dressing, and it's it's really for me. I having played a good chunk of the game now, I'm like eighty percent done. I can't game, imagine this game being fun without it. For a game that could so easily just be another like also ran in these kind of series of games, uh, even if it is a Batman list year, like we have two original Assassin's Creed games coming out this year, so it would have been wholly imaginable that it would just like fade off into the sunset with like no glory whatsoever. But this system exists in a way that it's just like, I actually wonder if Assassin's Creed is going to be able to get a strong foothold this year, having had to compete with itself basically. And now shadows of Mordor. I mean, it's a very good question. Especially considering that they're splitting their base because with between the next gen or the PS4, Xbox One version, and then the previous gen versions of the game. Yeah. Yes, hence, hence me saying it's competing with itself, Doug. Okay. <laughs> Let's not get too sassy, unless it's something like that. Um, but it's, it reminds me of last gen, where or last time around when you had like Call of Duty three on PS2 and PS or an Xbox versus 360 and. Uh, or maybe it's Call of Duty 2, but like, you know, you saw these versions that were heavily stripped of major features. And it's, you know, it's, it's typical when there's a split gen situation, which, you know, comes down to a number of factors. But this time around, I think Assassin's Creed, like you mentioned, is in a specifically difficult position because the platform that everybody has is getting what's widely recognized as not like the, you know, core critical next game in the series. Rogue, for all intents and purposes, looks just like uh, a lot of AC3 and 4, where it cribs a lot of the ship combat and that graphics engine and doesn't do a whole lot um, beyond that. Unity is supposed to be like the return to form for Assassin's Creed. Yeah. But so much of what I've seen of that game just looks like they're phoning it into me. Like, it sounds weird that this is such a nitpicky detail for me, but for a series that prides itself on historical 
quote unquote accuracy and being true to like just life and everything taking place in revolutionary France and hearing British accents just makes me so angry. Yeah. So angry. You never like, saw Les that. Miz was a huge movie. Like get some <laughs> French accents. Freaking you're Ezio, in, you're in French like, Canada. Come you're on. You're in Montreal. It should be easy. <laughs> yeah. And freaking Ezio, who is like still considered to be like one of the best characters Ubisoft has ever made. Yeah. Had an Italian accent. There and so no did everybody British else. speaking people in Italy. <laughs> God damn yeah. it. Yeah. It's but... not even like Italy has a blood feud with England the way Italy or the way France and England do. Like, I feel like having French people speak with British accents is even bigger of a slap in the face of French people than anything. To, to get things back on track, the reason why we're so excited and why Tyler and Nick have spent so much time playing Shadows of Mordor is because of that nemesis system partially and because of the kind of unique things that it brings to the game. But it's not going to be on the next gen ver- or the current gen versions, the PlayStation 3 and Xbox 360 versions when that version of the game is available. Is it early next year? A couple months here? I think it got delayed to late this year, but I have no idea if it got pushed further. If it did, it's beyond all hope. What Unity? And so that's Unity is that, November. No, no, no. Talking about um, Mordor. Uh, Mordor. Oh, Mordor. I think I think it's Shadow also Mordor. November. Regardless, they took out the um, Nemesis system, and that is why Tyler and I went to go get him a PS4 a couple weeks ago. I don't think they even took it out. I think they just announced that it was never in the game in the first place. Yeah, I mean, probably not for lack of trying, but yeah, it's not there. And well. Sorry about my semantics of the language, but please try and notice my segue. <laughs> oh, yes. Glad, <laughs> I'm glad Doug is here to kind of rein us in a bit. But I, I, I am sitting here wondering, me with my PlayStation 4, like, if you think about this time last gen, let's say 2006, we had Gears of War. And Gears of War, for many people, was basically like, this is the new gen. This is what is justifying your purchase of an Xbox 360. This is something you could not do, you could not witness on Xbox or PlayStation 2. Well, Nick? Yeah, it was uh, it was the Halo moment for me. Like, where Halo 1 and the Xbox kind of show what could be possible with consoles. Gears of War was like, fuck Halo, look at how amazing this game is. With like, it's much more, like, familiar concept, but completely different play style. It like it used the technology to create a much more intelligent system that allowed the player to feel like they have a lot more control than was ever possible before in that kind of shooter. And so, what is bumming me out right now about uh, my PlayStation Four is I do not feel like we have that kind of game this year, and I think a lot of that has to do with how many of these games are cross-gen. Yeah, you know what's really scary to me is I don't even know what that game is going to be, even looking at what's coming out next year. Like, it may not come. I think a lot of people are putting money on Bloodborne. It's... So, I played it a little bit, and it just feels like a natural iteration to me. I want to play it so far of Demon Souls. And, like, that's great. I want that. But it's not going to deliver some new unexpected experience unless they dramatically change something about the way the game plays between, the mm. admittedly, the short demo I played, 15 minutes or so, and the final game. But I don't... I don't think it's even in the game's best interest at this point to try to dramatically up, you know, shake up that formula in a way that makes it decidedly next gen. Whatever that actually means. If that actually means anything at all to anyone. 
Yeah. And I feel kind of torn as uh, someone that has been largely a PlayStation enthusiast since I moved to Japan four and a half years ago. In that right now, I think despite the deluge of Brad of bad press that Microsoft received going into this new generation, they largely have the superior lineup if you are just counting exclusive games and experiences on their platform. I, mean, I think we're being subjective here, right? Yes, of course. <laughs> okay. Otherwise, objective would just be like, this console has this many games. This console has this many games. This number is higher, therefore they are the victor. I know. I was just trying to add a caveat. Um, I I don't know. I still feel like I'm looking at what's coming up. I, I feel like the PS4 is a better lineup for what I'm interested in. But there's a lot of stuff that is coming first to Xbox One, if not permanently. Uh, that looks really cool, too. Like, I know that Playdead's new game is launching there, which is pretty damn tempting to me. Playdead? Limbo guys. Oh, okay. Playdead. Oh, Playdead. Yeah. Play-Doh is uh, actually <laughs> going to be the new Minecraft successor. It is my understanding that I, I imagine some of this would be diluted if you are an avid PC gamer as well. I mean, mm-hmm. things like uh, Dead Rising 3 are now available on PCs. Um, Rise, if for some reason you want that, is on PC. <laughs> yes, Rise. Oof. Do you like movies about gladiators, Jimmy? <laughs> I'm sorry. It's like God of War without anything interesting. <laughs> Which to me is actually a God of War after 3. But, I know, I probably should have liked Ascension. Um, But, back to the question, like, I mean, do you guys see some promising candidate of like, hey, we're finally seeing a game that's going to, using this power of this new technology and the interconnectedness of its infrastructure, deliver a unique experience? Because I I honestly do not see that on anything. When you put it that way, I'm pretty hard-pressed. But in terms of like a game delivering lots of pretty lights and flashing colors to make me forget about those things, uh, I've always been pretty quick to want to forgive or want to embrace uh, in the developer Insomniac. So I've, I'm still somewhat hopeful, even though I don't have an Xbox One, that Sunset Overdrive will deliver a very new and original and entertaining experience, even though our, our own present nick cummings has indeed played the game at uh expos uh, namely pax this year and did not and found it wanting basically i didn't actually play it I don't okay want to speak out of turn. i said i watched a few matches in multiplayer and it looked pretty bad so yeah who knows yeah. i've been wrong about games all the damn time i there's never been an insomnia game that i looked at in terms of multiplayer and think thought i gotta get me some of that yeah they've always been uh very well put together single player experience in my book which is part of the reason why fuse was such a train wreck yeah that ratchet and clank multiplayer on ps2 was pretty good for the time but we're talking like 10 years ago it sounds like if anything that some of the things from fuse got taken and sacrificed to make this game better um or sunset overdrive better at least for me, though, it looks like I'm trying to think of what's what's on the horizon for the PS3 as well as or PS4 as well as the Xbox One. It might be something like the Order, or I think realistically, the the best bet to be a, a wowing new experience is probably No Man's Sky. 
Yeah. I don't know if they're still meeting that same timetable, though, What with the developer having had a flood that destroyed a large portion of their equipment and software. Yeah, that, that's, that really that's sucks very true. Um, I, I know they're like... still like on track to make that game, but I don't know if they're meeting the same timetable anymore. I think mm. I think one thing that might be helpful to consider too is that when we look at like we all kind of point to Gears of War as being like the game that introduced the next generation, and certainly it was a very influential game on how shooters are developed and designed and played. But Gears of War could have totally been done on a previous gen console. It wouldn't yeah. have looked as good. It probably would have had way fewer enemies and things on screen. But a cover-based shooter, there's no reason why you couldn't have done that on an older console. Well, so I wonder I mean, if, if it's you really a... want to sell it that way, then it kind of already was done on the previous gen system in the form of Kill Switch. I don't know that game. It was like the first cover based shooter, and largely what Cliff Blazinski attributes to his inspiration for Gears of War. Oh, okay, well in that case, uh, that makes sense. So maybe it's just my ignorance, but it's also like I think that it was a right place, right time for developers, money publishers and hardware and i think this time around it was it's been so long since the console like generations uh, this time around and they're just we're in a really weird state with where publishers are getting way more conservative about big bets on new ip and uh there isn't anything like waiting in the wings like so like you know like take 2006 for example gears came out but we knew mass effect was coming we knew assassin's creed was coming you know, we saw these glimmers of, like, uh, ambitious uh, new design. And I think at this point, it might take a while before we see that, if it ever happens. I would loathe to put too much emphasis on a single piece of tech. But if we're looking at Gears as the benchmark, is it telling that there has yet to be a official, like, Unreal Engine 4 game out? Hmm. In what sense? Well, I mean, Gears was like the flagship of Unreal Engine. It was the Engine flagship 3. for Unreal Engine, and a couple of the other ones that you named were also Unreal, Unreal Engine 3 games, including Mass Effect. Yep. That's a good point. And Unreal Engine 4 is obviously all intentions are pointing that it's going to be like the new hotness in terms of new generational development. We have yet to see one of those games. There really well, hasn't been a UE4 game yet? That's, that's crazy. I guess um, that I think UT Alpha murdered soul suspect might have been a UE game. <laughs> I'm not sure, and that game uh, kind of landed with a very quiet. Yeah, I still want to try it sometime, but it didn't really make an impact on critics or retail. It seems. Uh, yeah, so I mean, it, it, maybe engines are a factor. Maybe that tech actually wasn't in place in time, and maybe maybe it's a matter of like. The engine was in development, but hardware schematics didn't come in soon enough for them to tailor it for these new consoles. Yeah, that's a possibility. Um, looking quickly to try and check things, like the first shots for Unreal Engine 3 came out in 2004, so that was two years until that the first big game came for that. Um, Wasn't UT3 I... in Unreal Engine 3? Ooh, was it? Yes, it was, but it came out after uh, Gears of War. Oh, it did? That makes yes. no sense. <laughs> that's that's one of the criticisms when people looked at it. They were just like, oh, so you made UT3 in the Gears of War engine, and so now everything looks like mm-hmm. Gears. Yep. I yeah. remember that. The character models looked like they were ripped right out. 
comparatively, Unreal Engine 4 made its initial, like, debut release this year in CES, and the stable release for it was only launched earlier this month. Okay, so, so just to ensure that no one accuses us of never fact-checking, uh, I'm currently <laughs> looking at a list of Unreal Engine 4 games, and I am seeing a whole lot of TBA <laughs> or TBD. Uh, I went to a there are some TBD. 2014 games. Nothing is what you would consider to be a graphical powerhouse. That includes games like D4, Dark Dreams Don't Die by Swery, yeah, and anyone who is expecting a sweary game to be a very technically impressive game has had their wires crossed somehow. <laughs> Unless you're looking at Connect integration, because apparently that's the jam on that game. Yes, but that makes but no sense. Microsoft is currently in, in the practice of pretending Connect. What Connect? I don't know anything about Connect. What are you talking about? This is not the Connect you're looking for. Yeah, between that and you know pay inequality in the industry, they're just throwing their hands up about everything right now. Yep. Boom. But really, um, that's, uh, I guess the only Unreal Engine 4 game I have played at this point is um, Unreal Zen Garden on my iPad. <laughs> and that thing is fucking dumb, even as a tech demo. Because I'm looking at like Epic Citadel as this dumb little thing you can walk around in. And that was like amazing because it was like really cool lighting and 3D effects like four years ago on my first iPad. And now there's just this dumb little thing where I can tap on it and it animates. And it's like, cool, you write a bunch of models and things, and I just dropped my brand new phone on the floor. <laughs> so I will just live with that consequence. But yeah, it's you guys are right. Like, there Nothing has shown up. Lots of stuff hasn't been announced. Maybe next year is going to be the big year for all this stuff to get announced and then released in 2016. The biggest fear I have right now is that we're going to, we're, we're seeing... What made the PS3 very promising was Sony becoming humbled, giving their other branches more agency, and basically coming out swinging at Microsoft. Like, we're going to be packing new services, new features, and basically new and wholly original games. That's what made a huge, like, indie push for the PlayStation Network. That's what led to things like PlayStation Plus. Uh, competitive Sony is a good Sony. Yep. And now I, I worry that they look at the press they received at the launch of the PS4 and the fact that they are currently outselling the Xbox One and just thinking, we're the new hot shit. We don't have to try as hard anymore. Yeah. I, I don't think it's that. I think it's just this stuff takes time to come out. And for whatever reason, it's taking more time than the last generation. It's It's widely known that when we're doing these generational leaps, things like time and money are exponentially bigger. I mean, we used to be mm -hmm. in, a, in a place where making an annual game wasn't a big deal. We used to be in a place where putting games on a two-year cycle was the norm. And now, people like Acti or not people, uh, companies like Activision are looking at their hot property, are looking at Call of Duty, and they've already seemingly acknowledged the fact that this game now has to be on a three-year cycle. Yeah. Which is why they have three separate teams for Call of Duty now. You got Sledgehammer, you got Infinity Ward, and you got Treyarch. Yeah. And that was probably smart. That was probably... They seem to be doing that before anybody else, but I think that's just the reality of how big these budgets are and how like impressive these games need to look to sell to a broad audience these days. It's just in general complexity. Complexity of graphics, engines, everything. Yeah. Art assets. 
yep. art assets, everything. And that's that's a that's a reason why Japanese games have been suffering is because they tried to do it the, the same amount of staff and the same uh this like the same processes but with this new reality where it's a lot more difficult to do that. What's yeah. depressing is that we seem to be in a very similar place that we were last gen where so many big Japanese developers are looking at Square Enix and saying this next Final Fantasy game should be the game that sets the tone for AAA games coming out of Japan. I mean, we That's were, a dangerous place. We were yeah. at that place with Final Fantasy 13 and now here we are with Final Fantasy 15 just like come on guys. Show us what we can show them what we can do, and that's a lot of pressure for one game. Yeah, I think a lot of that came down to as well the fact that uh, I think it's maybe I'm wrong in saying this, but I think it's widely recognized that Western studios are generally seen as having been better prepared at the cost and time uh, and human resources costs of going next gen, of going high definition, and uh, Japan kind of suffered uh, in many of its studios, and some embraced it better than others, like Capcom is generally seen as having done a better job of that early on, but uh, they also had their What is Capcom terrible, doing now? Hopefully not a Dark Void sequel, but um, yeah, that's a good All question. I really know about is uh, Resident Evil Revelations, which is an episodic sequel to a 3DS game, and it is cross-gen. So, yeah. thanks, Who Capcom. knows what they're doing? I mean, Monster Hunter, good for them. Will never be on a next-gen platform. No, like... That game is that not is, for that, us. That, that series, I would say at this point, is handheld for life. Yeah. That's been working and it's going to keep working for them. I will say that 90% of the street passes they got in Japan had people playing Monster Hunter. In fairness, that was also right after it came out. Yeah, 4G just came out and like I literally had a day of full 10 street passes and 9 out of 10 3DSers agree, your ass better be playing Monster Hunter 4G. <laughs> <laughs> But so. that, that is a franchise that will be dragged into high definition kicking and screaming. Yeah. And since we just had a new 3DS come out, literally the new 3DS, uh, we probably won't see another graphic engine for Monster Hunter until whatever the next Nintendo... The uh, next great hardware in the Nintendo family. They've fallen in the same trap that Dragon Quest has. They're... Where the audience just expects the same thing and won't buy anything else. Therefore, we are giving them the exact same thing. Seems like yep. it. Sticking to old I... uh, infrastructure designs. and I uh... would say that as a multiplayer and social game, it is a bit more flexible than Dragon Quest. Okay. If, if Dragon Quest had treated 9 in its original incarnation as a spinoff, I think it would have been more successful. Nine is largely what people point to when they say like Dragon Quest is uh, unable to change, and that is because you had basically eight games of the same thing. And then Nine's like, "What if we do something different?" It's like, "Well, maybe that is something you should have thought about six games ago." Yeah. So I I wouldn't think of Dragon Quest as being signs that the Japanese market is stagnating. Just that like they chose the wrong series to try to do that with. Mm. And Monster Hunter is proof that that formula, that idea, could work with other series, with other franchises. And I mm. think that's largely what Square is trying to do now with Final Fantasy Explorers. Mm-hmm. Is that the upcoming 3DS? 3DS, yeah. Okay. I mean, they've certainly. I think it. I think it, you can draw a good contrast between Dragon Warrior or Dragon Quest and uh, Final Fantasy recently as well, where like. 
9 and 10 represented one thing, and 13 and its unfortunate sequels represented something else entirely, of like trying to, in some ways, try to look very contemporary, different, and it really pulled it off, I think, visually. Like, that game was pretty impressive at the time, but sticking way too much, too closely to what it thought was the right established conventions, and it didn't really review all that well anywhere in the world as a result. Maybe I think it's a bit of a, a misnomer. I mean, 13, the original one, reviewed pretty well if you're looking at, like, the concept of, like, companies getting bonuses based on Metacritic scores. Like, 13 a terrible was practice, by the way. solidly in the 80s. Like, it is, it was considered to be a good-ish game. It was just, <laughs> like, people's expectations for what a Final Fantasy game is, should be, and came to be after years of waiting because that game took so long in development compared to like when it was announced, like expectations were just too high. And there is a high possibility that 15 is setting itself up for the exact same failure. Possibly. Yep. That's a possibility. I mean, but... we're talking about a game that was announced in 2006 and there is a strong possibility that this game comes out 10 years after its original announcement which is unheard of in games. Yeah, that's pretty messed up. It's like um, Duke Nukem Forever style. Usually yeah. when you were talking about the 10th anniversary of a game, you were talking about like a special re-release, not the actual not the release original of release. I hope not they, the original release. I hope the original release is called the 10th anniversary edition. That would be perfect, but yeah. far too self-aware for a Japanese publisher to do. Oh, yeah, I know. Um, that's the sort of joke that will probably get you fired. But um, I, I guess I also haven't played... So I, I wonder about this whole Final Fantasy thing in particular, and I'm trying not to harp on this point because I know we should move on. But um, I played 13 when it came out, and I had largely... You know, I was looking forward to another Final Fantasy. I loved 12. I thought at the time 10 was great, too. I really hadn't played a game in that series I didn't like. Yeah, 11 really wasn't for me, but I didn't think it was like a bad MMO by any stretch of the imagination. Um you play 14, bro? I haven't. I kind of want to, though. It's really pretty on PlayStation 4. I hear that. I'm looking for a sale. You got the hookup? Anyway, <laughs> 13. I I don't know anyone. I, I've never met anyone who really liked playing that game. Like, they liked the story, maybe. They loved the visuals. They loved the universe it created. But the act of playing that game felt dated from the day I played it. And, like, I understand that it was a long time between sequels. But what? Final Fantasy X was 2002 in the U.S.? And... 12 was 2006, right? So, yes. It had been a long time, but four years between 10 and 12, you know, the single player games in that series, uh, I thought 12 was a, a marked improvement in many ways over that series. And it looked like it stood up to it. Maybe it was just a bad, a combination of bad things with 13, but who knows? A lot Maybe of bad happened with that. 12, too. Especially if you look at the history of that game's development. Oh, really? Yeah, it did have a troubled development as well. I feel like the end product was pretty great, but I didn't. I guess I'm not familiar with what happened. Uh, basically, the director, who was the director also of like Vagrant Story and Final Fantasy Tactics, mm -hmm. was really sick of uh, Square Enix management, like nitpicking every decision he was making with the game, and he just decided like two thirds or like seventy percent of the way through development, like I'm done. Peace out. Finish this game on yourselves. Wow. 
So the game suffers from a lot of bloat. Like his core ideas are there, and I think that's a lot of what people remember well about the game. Mm-hmm. But there's just a lot of bullshit kind of bogging it down. Like that game, like many JRPGs, is just a lot longer than it needs to be and has yeah. some story elements that don't make a lot of sense. Yeah. So just you need people at these companies willing to trim the fat. And there's still this idea that it's like, no, people are paying $60. They want like hundreds of hours of entertainment. I feel like really, really really Japanese approach to things that like, oh, you're paying this much for it. So it has to have all of these features. Yep. Why? Because it has to. Yep. Because that's what people expect. They want a fair exchange. Mm. Except I think that maybe not in Japan, but elsewhere, the population of people who really want just a lot of gameplay time for their money has is diminishing. And even among the what we used to call maybe the hardcore in the U.S., like I think the sentiment is largely shifting towards people wanting just a really cool, unique experience that they will be thinking about for a long time. Even if people maybe... are just... They're taking different lessons from games like Final Fantasy, where Final Fantasy is like mind-blowing visuals plus hours and hours of gameplay. Whereas if you look at the kind of games we have now, you have small slices of games that are drop-dead gorgeous, mm-hmm. like a game you can finish in like a day probably. And you have games like Minecraft where it's like, you could play this game for fucking infinity, <laughs> but it looks like hot garbage. Well, also like a lot of the story-driven games of the last generation have been tighter. They haven't been 60, 70, 80 hour just billowing masses like mass effect was much much tighter than a a given final fantasy game or there have been games that have people have sunk hundreds of hours into that are more about the gameplay and combat that's what dark souls and uh demon souls is all about empathetic games i'd argue i think oh yeah more so than actual specific games that's kind of what sony and and microsoft are trying to do with the generation is they don't want you looking at certain games and saying this is why you need to buy a system they're looking at the ecosystem and saying this is why you need to buy a system Mm -hmm. and it didn't work for microsoft with the whole connect and connecting to your tv and everything because who fucking watches like broadcast and cable tv anymore that's nailing your flag to the wrong mast in that regard and that's what sony was trying to do with the whole like share button Mm -hmm. and that's been somewhat more successful well, it may not be quite as successful right away, but I think it's going to be something very good for the long term. Because I already see a, a few friends I have who have PS4s who share stuff on a regular basis on Twitter, and well, it's like, oh, this is kind of cool. By yeah. all accounts, like share share mode or photo mode in a lot of uh, current gen games has been very popular. In fact, I saw Shadows of Mordor making headlines only for adding a photo mode to their game because it was so popular in the remastered Last of Us and Infamous Second Son. Yeah, I saw that today. It has filters. It's just like this... Last of Us did a good job If you look at the photos they're posting from Shadows of Mordor, it's like literally all people just beheading orcs and like orc heads flying through the air. It's not all that interesting, but it's still like... it's It's fun. Uh, Madden this year introduced like a GIF maker, I think. Oh, that's awesome! That um, that was so life with parody. Yeah, <laughs> I I didn't. I mean, I, I haven't. I'm not an NFL fan, so I'm not paying as much attention to man as other people do. But I saw that pop up through not just people who love football games, but a lot of just general sports Twitter that I follow, and it, it was 
it was funny. It was a fun thing. And that sort of stuff is really cool. It also helps guys like us because we don't have professional capture setups. So if we can get screenshots other ways through the games, it's fantastic. Yeah. I think um, on the specific thing of the share button, too, I wouldn't be surprised if the function of that thing changes pretty dramatically over the lifespan of that console. Like, we're only a year in. It may not just be take a photo, take a video, upload it later to one of these set systems. It might be a lot more uh, deeply embedded in the experience that they overhaul the infrastructure. Well, I feel a little bit better about uh, this current gen, and... I'm hopeful that maybe this is just some sort of like old man growing pains where we're all just kind of sitting around in our rocking chairs saying like, this gen isn't the same as last gen. Last gen was where things really shined, but maybe it's just going to take a little bit longer or maybe things are just working a little bit differently than how we expect them to, but things are still pretty okay. And if you look at sales numbers of the PS4 and Xbox One relative to what the 360 and PS3 were at at their point in time, like we're doing pretty okay. Like, yeah. There's not yeah. any cause to be for alarm or people like we're fucked. <laughs> like no, <laughs> things are probably going to be all right. You just gotta. Yeah, I just think that change your that, expectations. I suppose the, the last generation started when we were all in college. And it was a time when, you know, everything's great, everything's fresh, everything's really new. And there was a lot more optimism in, in general in the economy and everything else as well, because we've been dealing with a really shitty economic period for the last six Forever. years. Uh, um, but we were ready for those new consoles and things were very interesting and new. And it was a, a perfect time in your life to be experiencing that sort of change. But now it's different because it's been slower to engage. Maybe they're more conservative about pushing those games out so quickly. Thanks, Obama. And, yeah. <laughs> and also everybody's more conservative because and making safe bets because they have to financially, yet that's going to be their downfall. So it's, it's, it's a weird, different time than the last time we were sitting here for consoles. Yeah. And you know, it sucks that I can't play my PlayStation 3 games on my PlayStation 4, but unlike my first playstation 3 literally the moment i logged in on my playstation 4 i had a library full of games i could yep. immediately yeah. start playing and dude you got resogun velocity good. yeah and they're not triple a games but they're still pretty nice looking and pretty fun too it's a step up from last generation when you had to figure out how to buy some microsoft points and go like Ugh. make a beeline to 400 getting, points uh, how much money is that and decide if you and, want Geometry Wars or Cloning Collide or both. No, no, no. I was going to say make a beeline to Geometry Wars because that's the one you want. Yeah. All right. Now, it was. I watched Tyler set his PlayStation 4 up. And after getting the account logged in and everything else, it was just, oh, here's your library. This is the stuff you have access to thanks to your PS Plus account. And it was just one of those head-exploding moments where it's like, this is this is how it should be. Well, I'm so glad Spencer's for... here to point to Steam in 2004 and be like, "Hey guys, what's up?" Oh, God. Steam in 2004 was not. A... <laughs> I, I I saw Steam in 2004, good sir, and it was not like this. <laughs> I know it had like 10 games. It was also not optimized nearly as well. But it showed you what you owned, even if you didn't have it installed. Right. I remember the, the nerd tears over how long it took to install Half Life 2, even if you own the disc. <laughs> it was Ugh. so bad. Um, well, thank you for joining me, gentlemen. It seems like we've come to an agreement that no matter what you're choosing to invest in this year, whether it be a PS4, Xbox One, Wii U, or PC, you're probably going to have something fun to play. And it's, it's a good year. 
not the best year, but it's a good year. Yeah. And it sounds like whenever you do decide to make that jump, you're going to have plenty of stuff to play. Absolutely. But you, you may not want to hold your breath for anything like truly earth-shattering for at least a year. Just saying. And so everyone have fun playing games, and in the immortal wet words of Bill and Ted, be cool to each other. For the love of fucking God, be cool to each other. Amen. Later. Silicon Sasquatch is an independent blog covering the social and cultural significance of games based in Portland, Oregon. Our five team members are Doug Bonham, Nick Cummings, Tyler Martin, Aaron Thayer, and Spencer Tordoff. This episode of the Squatchcast was produced by Nick Cummings. We publish new essays, editorials, analyses, and everything in between all the time at SiliconSasquatch.com. Follow along on Facebook at Facebook.com slash SiliconSasquatch, or on Twitter, where we are at SasquatchGaming. If you enjoyed our show, please tell your friends and subscribe to future episodes on iTunes or Stitcher Radio. As always, thanks for listening, and we'll be back next week with another episode.